Today on the Unabated Podcast, it's a very special one-on-one interview as I sit down with Peter Jennings to discuss his success in the world of daily fantasy to his time building up Action Network, life as a sports better and a family man, and so much more. It's a fantastic episode. Let's get to it. It's the guy goes unabated. That's the new word, unabated. That's two bigger words. and welcome on in to a very special episode of the Unabated Podcast. I'm Thomas Viola, here for a little bit of something different than what we've been doing here at Unabated on the pod so far. This is a special one-on-one interview telling some interesting stories with interesting people from throughout the world of gambling. And when I thought of interesting stories, there is no one that I thought of before you, my friend, Peter Jennings, here with us today to talk about your life and how you've gotten to where you've gotten and all the fantastic success that you've had, both in the world of sports betting, DFS, and so much more, because quite frankly, your your story is just a fantastic one, and I'm so excited to get into it with you here, Peter. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Oh, Tom, thanks so much for the kind words. Uh, I hope I can live up to half of what you just said. Um, but yeah, excited to, to chat about, and hopefully uh, people are interested in this stuff can uh, potentially pick up some stuff on, on taking risks. And uh, yeah, they'll be excited to, to chat about everything that's happened. Absolutely, because I mean, you want to talk about taking risks. You have taken some of the biggest that you can, and I'm so excited to get into all of it. So without further ado, let's start off with, let's face it, the big one though. Way back when in 2012, you're just getting your start out in DFS. You go down to the DraftKings, uh, to the DraftKings Championship in the Bahamas. Here, you've already had a couple wins under your belt, but this was a particularly big one. You take home DraftKings' first ever million dollar prize down there. What was it like becoming an overnight millionaire like that? Yeah, it was crazy. I had actually just quit my uh, job out in Cambridge, working for a competitor of DraftKings, and uh, you know, been started really playing DFS full time. And things have just been going super well. And it was just such a huge moment to, to win the million bucks. Uh, obviously, financially, that was a huge bankroll booster. Um, it was definitely just an incredible stretch financially. But more importantly, during that time, that was kind of right as DFS was really starting to take off. So I knew it was a big moment in time just for the industry and uh, what I was trying to do in terms of building the brand and ultimately hoping to, to build a business. So it was super lucky just to, to be able to win that at that moment in time. Um, you know, they used pictures from that and ESPN and all these other places. So I felt super fortunate. It was definitely a lucky moment, uh, which was followed by a big risk that I took uh, to start 2014. So it was super fulfilling and a ton of fun. And the Bahamas was insane and DraftKings was spending like crazy. So it was a, a great moment in time for sure. Now, you can't quite see it in frame here on the show, but I can see it on my screen here. Is that the belt behind you on one of those shelves right now there that you won that day? Yeah, that is the belt. Uh, so I've, I've held on to it. Uh, I have another, I actually have the check uh, on the wall here too that I'll, that I'll hopefully be able to keep forever. So yeah, that was definitely uh, just uh, an incredible moment in time, a very fortunate moment in time and something I'll never forget. That is awesome. Now, I want to go back to the beginning with you, but before I do, you mentioned that big risk in 2014. What was that risk? What was it that you were doing then? Yeah, there's a couple of risks where I just bet on myself, and I think that's something that I would just kind of want to continue to convey is the best bets that you can make are on yourself, especially when you're in a moment in time where you know you don't have 
family to support. For, so for me, that was a, a big part of this. Um, and yeah, it was just a, a big bet of myself kind of going away from a guaranteed salary, um, stepping away from Star Street at the time to pursue playing DFS full time. And yeah, 2014 just went super, super well. And uh, it's kind of capped off. I wouldn't say maybe not capped off, but that was definitely the pinnacle of the year was winning the million bucks. So um, it was a ton of fun. And yeah, it was just crazy. Just going going from this corporate gig, working in the DFS industry, getting a good role with DraftKings as a brand ambassador, really betting that I could make a full-time living playing fantasy sports. And to make seven figures uh, that year was just incredible. And that's right, because you talk about you were in corporate, you were doing stock trading. And then what was that moment for you where you said, was there a flashpoint where you said, I'm ready to take this leap and do this full time? Or was it more of a gradual thing? What was that like standing on that edge and making that decision? Yeah, so I mean, I quit my job as a stockbroker back in 2012. And then I was really fortunate to win uh, the FanDuel championship for 150 grand. That actually, in terms of just like, the, the financial repercussions, I was bigger because I, you know, I didn't have a big bank role and that enabled me to go out and pursue the industry full time, uh, which I guess I was already already doing given that I quit my job, but like really made it a lot more comfortable to, to move out across the country. Um, and then 2013 was a lot of fun. I learned a lot about the industry. I was really focused on building Star Street and kind of helping from the business side. And I was still excited about that, but I just saw so much opportunity as a player and uh, taking that leap from, you know, having a salary and everything else to just really focusing on playing and that being my main source of income uh, was just a, a big bet on myself. And yeah, it was a, a really interesting opportunity. Uh, I thought the markets were really inefficient in DFS, uh, certainly a lot more inefficient then than they are now. And uh, fortunately, things really worked out. So like you said, right after you quit your job, you take home 150 grand as the winner of the FanDuel Fantasy Football Championship that was here in Vegas in 2012. And in addition to winning some of those big tournaments like that, like the DraftKings Championship, what was the day-to-day -day like attacking DFS uh, back then in that time? Yeah, so 2012 was a little different. You could, it was hard. I, I started to make a little bit more money than I was making as a stockbroker throughout that year. Uh, before that 150 grand, I probably made like 80, 90K uh, playing fantasy. And that was playing like as high as stakes as basically anyone on the on FanDuel. And then 2013, a bunch of these other sites popped up like DraftKings, like Star Street, Draft Day. So you were able to get some decent volume. I think the, the big winners were making like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Maybe someone made a million bucks in 2013, but it was really hard to kind of sustain a full-time income just playing DFS, but the games were super soft. It definitely was uh, a really good opportunity. But then 2014, things really, really took off from a volume perspective. The investment in the industry, DraftKings had gotten really big. Uh, they were really pushing FanDuel. FanDuel was spending. So, you know, instead of, uh, you know, getting thousands, maybe $10,000 a night, you were able to get tens of thousands of dollars of action every single day, uh, even a little bit more during like football season, maybe a hundred grand plus. Uh, so that really made it a lot more lucrative if you could sustain uh, a pretty good ROI because the volume was so much better. So it was a great moment in time. And uh, yeah, the games were really inefficient. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly, I think I actually heard a quote recently, and this is super applicable to my journey. Uh, it's much more important to find the right wave versus being a great surfer. So I don't think I'm a, you know, the smartest guy in the room by any stretch, certainly not the best DFS player now, but it was the right wave and I was at the right time. Um, so it didn't require being a great surfer to, to get that great wave. So 
Um, that was just right place, right time, right background with poker and finance. And uh, really rode that 2014-15 wave where DFS was super inefficient and you can make a good bit of money uh, playing if you're if you focusing on it. I remember that time. I remember, man, that was when every other commercial during NFL Sundays was either DraftKings or FanDuel. They were just flooding the market back then. What? Yeah, what, what, 2015 what? was crazy. 2015, September 2015, DraftKings and FanDuel spent more money than like Coca-Cola and Geico on TV commercials. And uh, <laughs> that win in 2014, they were still using my likeness for some of those commercials. And it was awesome. It was just, you know, I was playing pretty much every single sport. You know, my day revolved around playing DFS. And uh, yeah, it was a really, really cool moment in time, just given the opportunity. And obviously, it's fun to win. Yeah. And what what was it that you were doing to win? What what were some of these inefficiencies that existed in the market back then that have obviously since then dried up? But what were the angles that you were attacking in the early days? I mean, people would play guys who are out. Um, I don't think many people were using projections. I mean, I had a basic Excel spreadsheet. I was tracking the news really closely. I worked with a couple other sharp, really sharp people who are looking for similar information, uh, who are kind of grinding out projections and other things. So, yeah, it was just a, a less sophisticated time for the collective player pool. And, you know, I was taking it seriously and trying to do everything I could. Um, you know, 2014, I was starting to look at like umpires for baseball and really considering the weather. I think a big part of my foundation for every sport was taking into account kind of what sharp books were saying. So I'd really monitor like totals and, and kind of the Vegas lines uh, and the market lines that were out there and available to me to help me make decisions on players. And uh, yeah, it was just people were would play guys who were out. I don't think people are using projections. There weren't a lot of third-party tools to help people. So uh, it was just a really inefficient market. And again, it was the, the right wave to ride. Uh, and my poker experience, I think, also helped a lot. A lot of people had success during that time when the games were soft and then would, you know, gamble way too big and go broke. So uh, there weren't that many pros that would sustain kind of being able to play because uh, there was the combination of discipline and skill, uh, you know, didn't intersect for too many players. And that has certainly been one of the things that's changed because you see a lot more of these big whale fantasy football uh, DFS players coming in now and kind of soaking up a little bit of the market, kind of doing some of the same things that, you were able to find success in obviously the landscape has changed a little bit, but some of these edges, like for example, people now are all using projections. They've dried up, but does that mean that the market has just become too efficient or are there still ways to beat the system? Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, I think it was a lot easier to win back then in terms of just like, you know, a guaranteed ROI. But the biggest winners in the history of DFS are, are all happening right now. Uh, you know, I've heard rumors that some of the top players have made in the five to ten million dollar range per year. Um, you know, there's less people making, you know, say two hundred k to five hundred k to a million bucks, which I think, you know, especially in like 2015, there's probably the peak of like people being able to make that like low six figures to low seven figures. Um, there's a lot of pros that are able to kind of survive and 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 win because the games are so inefficient. Now there's like 10, 15 players that are just kind of really crushing. So there's still a lot of volume available. And I think, you know, if you're at the very top end of the, the spectrum and can can beat the highest stakes games and do really well in tournaments, there's still a lot of opportunity. But uh, the player pool as a whole is a lot more sophisticated. There's a ton of really good third-party sites. 
and to win at the highest level. Uh, I think that the players now are so much more sophisticated than the players that were kind of at the top of the game in 2014, 2015. Now, do you think that that's a problem for the DFS industry right now? The fact that we're seeing a little more of that concentration up at the top, or is it still possible for some of these other guys, people just starting out, people that aren't quite in the same level of stakes to still win? Yeah, I mean, it's it's easier for people just starting out to have a chance to be competitive and potentially win now because there's so much good information out there. There's so many good uh, sites out there that offer really good information. So it is easier to get kind of caught up to speed. But yeah, it's a lot harder to, to you know, get to the, the top of the food chain than it was back then where, you know, maybe there's 100 people, 200 people at the top of the food chain. Now there's maybe 15 to 20. Um, but in general, you know, in these peer-to-peer markets, you know, the top 1% makes all the money. So that hasn't changed. It's just concentrated even a little bit more uh, at this point in time. And there's a lot of variance. A lot of these, you know, a lot of the money right now is in tournaments. So there's a ton of variance there. So long-term winners might lose one year. Long-term losers might win one year. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's still a really fun ecosystem. And I'm hopeful that we'll see peer-to-peer games just grow in general uh, in the betting and fantasy markets. Yeah, and we can talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes, especially as we've seen some betting exchanges start to come up and how sports betting is now getting a little bit more into that peer-to-peer environment as well. But first, I want to talk about the DFS companies because obviously a lot has changed in the last 10 years of daily fantasy. I mean, DraftKings and FanDuel, they're both titans of the sports betting space now in addition to their DFS offerings that got them started. But DFS started as that alternative to sports betting that was allowed at a time when PASPA was still the law of the land. With states legalizing betting now, DFS does tend to see a decline in the states that legalize. What do you think the future of daily fantasy looks like as betting continues to grow? Yeah, it's mostly been flat um, across kind of you know, the country as a whole um, and where DFS is offered. I agree that when states go legal, more people will sports bet. Uh, I do think that there's some really big things going for DFS that hopefully will be applied to other forms of, of betting and fantasy. Uh, probably the, the most important thing for DFS and where we saw a lot of growth, especially back in that 2015 timeframe, is uh, these lottery type payouts where you can invest a little bit of money to win a ton. The millionaire makers were huge for the growth of DFS and uh, they're still super popular today. And I think in general, just people love them. I mean, game one coming up here in the finals, there's a millionaire maker for the one game, um, you know, golf, we're seeing multiple millionaire makers for each major. There's a millionaire maker every Sunday for football. So uh, the lottery payouts with low buy-ins have been super powerful and uh, are, you know, really popular. And I think those will sustain. I think people love that type of game. Um, and I hopefully we'll see more of that kind of come to fruition in, in other peer-to-peer markets. And, you know, it's no secret that people love parlays and obviously the pickums and everything else. So my hope is that we'll continue to see uh, these lottery type payouts with, with peer-to-peer ecosystems where there's, you know, people competing against each other versus the house. Um, but yeah, I think the future of DFS, uh, I won't, I don't see a ton of growth necessarily uh, with the salary cap games, but there are other formats that I hope can take off. I mean, we've seen best ball just absolutely explode uh, with the likes of Underdog. Now DraftKings is offering huge contests. Um, Sleeper, there's a whole bunch of companies offering really big best ball contests, and and uh, those are really popular. So I think we'll see more skill games kind of evolve uh, and become popular, uh, especially when they gain traction where they can offer these huge payouts. 
So that's what I'm excited for. Uh, I love survivors, love pickums, and I'm hoping there's innovation uh, with these operators with new types of games uh, going forward. Now, how about for you personally when it comes to DFS versus sports betting? Was there a point where you kind of shifted and started betting more after obviously became legal? When did you start getting more into the betting space as well? Yeah, so I, I was betting back in like 2014, 2015, um, but you know, didn't have the legal sports books like we do now here in Colorado. Uh, it was more of a hobby than something I was taking seriously. I really started to take betting more seriously when Colorado legalized, uh, you know, back in 2020. And we were at a really, you know, kind of unique moment in time, especially here in Colorado, where we have very favorable regulation uh, for sports betting, uh, something that I lobbied for personally and just really happy with how things turned out. Uh, a lot of the money goes towards the water projects here in Colorado, which uh, is a really important issue here in the Southwest. Obviously, you're in Nevada. Uh, water is uh, going to be a huge uh, part of kind of what's going on with uh, different economies and everything. So happy to see you know, a lot of the tax revenue instead of going, you know, when it was in the black market, it was going to bookies and other people. Now that revenue, uh, you know, is going to regulated books and uh, part of that tax is going to the water project. So uh, I'm really excited about that. We saw some of the things with marijuana and I hope that continues to be the case across the country. People are going to bet regardless wherever they are and uh, I want to see it regulated. Uh, sorry, that was long-winded tangent, but uh, we ended up with really good regulation here in Colorado that brought a lot of books here. And uh, there's a ton of opportunity, especially in 2021, uh, where the books were spending a ton. There's a ton of promotions. And uh, as you know, it's really important to shop for price and look for edges. Uh, there's some books that just had really off-market lines and uh, was able to you know, make a ton of money in 2021 betting uh, without that sophisticated of a, a process, uh, really just kind of a line shopping operation. Um, fortunate to know some sharp people as well. And had a couple of things I think were winning against, uh, you know, even sharper lines. But uh, in general, the majority of the money was made just picking off uh, really inefficient lines and taking advantage of promotions. So betting has been a, a much bigger part of my income relative to DFS for the last three years. And uh, I expect that to be kind of the, the status quo, at least for the next couple of years, um, given that Colorado is such a good place to bet. Yeah, and you you talk about those regulations, the regulatory bodies, and the fact that we're seeing a lot of that money come back into benefiting everybody, not just people who sports bet. But the other reality there is that for every state like Colorado, there's some states that aren't doing things quite as well. I mean, you've got the lottery yeah. running some states. What what do you think is the most important thing that states that are legalizing now and in the future and even if already legalized, but aren't quite doing things in the best possible way that they can take and learn from the Colorado markets. Yeah, it's just, I have a strong view that, that people are going to bet regardless. Um, you know, there's a lot of stats out there, but for sure, tens of billions of dollars were bet every every year uh, in black markets in the U.S. before regulation and passport was reversed. Uh, so I think you can learn a lot from these states. It's generating a lot of revenue. Um, these operators, um, well, I have a lot of qualms with how they, they do business in certain ways. It's definitely good for the economy. They're providing a lot of jobs. Um, obviously, you know, the employees are benefiting from the success. I know a ton of people who are early at DraftKings that have uh, been very fortunate to, to do really well with DraftKings stock. So happy to see that. And uh, in general, I think the tax revenue, you know, you'd rather have that go towards the collective good than, you know, being a black market where, uh, you know, it's going to you know, bookies or whatever else that, uh, you know, aren't paying their fair share in taxes. And, uh, you know, none of that money is going towards projects like the water projects here in Colorado. So I'm hopeful more and more states will 
look to this uh, opportunity and say, hey, this is a way for us to bring in more revenue for the state and let's allocate it to smart places. We've seen that you know, work really, really well in the marijuana industry and it's working well so far with the betting industry and I don't see any reason why more states won't come on board with that. I guess the one issue that you pointed out, which will be interesting to see how it plays out over the next you know, five to 10 years is there are certain states that have big influence uh, you know, with the lotteries or tribes or other conflicts uh, where they're they're going actively against you know sports book operators but I'm hopeful that we'll just kind of see legal sports betting across the country um, in most states you know in the next couple of years so let's get back uh, off our tangent here and get back on the road of you and where you were going with your life obviously you start sports betting a little bit more in, uh, as you're taking off in the world of DFS you're getting further and further along and you get to this point now where we're into the tw- mid, late twenty uh, late twenty tens, getting up to today, and you've been involved in so many different projects in and out of the sports betting world here. But some of the biggest names you were uh, you spent six years with with DraftKings before you were a founder of both the Action Network and Fantasy Labs. Before, of course, also being a founding member here at Unabated. Did, did you ever envision Action Network becoming the colossal enterprise that it is today? Well, I certainly was hopeful about it. Um, going back to Fantasy Labs, I do think that's interesting. A lot of people ask about like, hey, you know, I, I, we started Fantasy Labs when I had my biggest edge playing. And certainly, you know, my edges were eroded uh, offering Fantasy Labs, which I was really proud of. I think we really did help a lot of people, um, but it certainly made the markets more efficient. But I always had aspirations to do uh, things on the business side. Uh, I think one of the hard things about betting uh, is that it can be a little lonely. Um, you know, a lot of times you're like, hey, what am I doing to, to help the world or what am I doing to help other people? And, you know, well, starting a, you know, content tool information site isn't, you know, curing cancer. Um, it did feel good to help other people have success. And I also took kind of a macro view on the industry thinking that, hey, building this software and helping uh, people with information and saving people time would kind of grow the overall pie. So that was that was the goal. Uh, plus, I thought there was a lot of upside in business. And uh, really, you know, we were just at the right place, the right place at the right time with Fantasy Labs. And it took off right away. We were cash flow positive right away. And uh, it was really a fun journey. Um, and then, you know, we we're in a position where our sister company, Sports Insights, uh, you know, with Dan and, and a lot of people here at, that are involved in Unabated, um, you know, they were basically presented an offer they couldn't reviews with the churning group uh, to basically spin up these companies for the Action Network. So we went that route. Uh, we really liked the churning group guys. And uh, yeah, there's some growing pains with Action Network. And, you know, we made a big bet on that being a big thing. And uh, for a couple of the years, it looked like we weren't, weren't going to be as successful as we ultimately, ultimately ended up being. But yeah, it was really fulfilling to see uh, that'd be so successful. And then honestly, the luckiest moment in my life or one of the luckiest moments in my life was when Action Network sold in May of 2021, which is like basically the stone top of uh, kind of the overall um, betting ecosystem from a uh, operator standpoint, from a picks and shovel standpoint, just in the valuations of these businesses. So Action Network kind of t- you know, tip-talk the, the market uh, with that sale. So that was a, a really fortunate moment and really happy the way things played out. And, and so when it comes to investing in some of these projects, what is it that you're looking for? Is it that your experience and your background, both in stock trading and investments and sports betting and DFS, 
do you kind of feel like those are all skills that have helped you piece together the ability to spot good opportunities and think of good ideas that make for these great investments? Yeah, I mean, I definitely learned on the fly. Um, I've always been really interested in business. I was an entrepreneur entrepreneur since I was a little kid, selling lemonade, selling like Jolly Ranchers on the school bus. Uh, I got really into Pokemon cards, flipping those, sports cards. Uh, so I've always really enjoyed business. Um, and yeah, that was kind of my aspiration uh, with DFS. I was really interested in the operator side. Quickly learned that there was a lot of headaches on the operator side. Obviously, there's a ton of upside. Um, you know, things would have been a lot different, but, you know, I, maybe I could have joined DraftKings really early on as like an employee. And uh, that would have been an interesting ride to see how that played out. But I feel very fortunate with the way things played out for me personally, um, you know, betting on myself to play and then the picks and shovels game. Um, and yeah, it was a long, long winded that, that the operator side was the most interesting to me initially. And then I really learned that the, the, the picks and shovel uh, side of the business, you know, selling tools, content, information, um, there's quite a bit of upside and also it's really easy to build cash flow positive businesses. And that's really been kind of what I've focused on uh, since 2015 is just, you know, uh, investing in building businesses that can be cash flow positive so that you have optionality going forward. You're not just doing the venture game and uh, that worked really well with fantasy labs. And yeah, I think just building these cash flow positive businesses makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it is certainly, I mean, you want to talk about the picks and shovels game from my experience, just being here and being a part of Unabated, it has been a fantastic time. And I felt I, I felt myself over the course of the last, we're coming up on eight months here or so, just being around guys like you, Peter, Jack, or you, Rufus, Jack, uh, you feel yourself getting sharper. And it's fantastic to see how this community has come together, how great of a community that we've been able to foster and how everybody is willing to help each other grow and become sharper betters like we've seen. And that brings me into talking about kind of your unique perspective on sports betting versus DFS, because that player versus player element that we talked about before, does it change your approach versus betting against the book? Like how much is game theory coming into play when it comes to your lineups versus making just simple bets? And how much time do you spend on DFS versus sports betting in a day to day? Yeah, so going back to 2014, 15, even the years before, game theory wasn't that relevant. Um, it mattered a little bit, but basically there's a huge edge in just playing the best plays. Like, what's the optimal lineup? Who are the best players each day? Um, make those teams and don't even think about what the rest of the field is doing because the rest of the field was so bad that just jamming in the really top-end teams uh, was a huge you know, ROI and a way to just kind of print money. Uh, as the game evolved, everyone kind of figured out kind of who those best plays were. There's obviously a lot of great sites. We did things at Fantasy Labs. There's a ton of other picks and shovels businesses that popped up uh, within DFS. So a lot of people kind of knew what these good teams were. So I actually struggled initially. It was like I would just play kind of what I thought were some of the best teams. And then, you know, you'd be in a tournament and other people would have the exact same lineup or like a very similar lineup to you. And especially in tournaments where the main prizes were you know, top heavy where, you know, it's a $3 million tournament, a million to first, you know, you really have to emphasize being unique. So that's where the game theory, you know, started to become a big issue or not a big issue, but a, a big part of the game. And uh, it's evolved. So where, you know, game theory is as important, if not more important than projecting the players. Uh, so I spent quite a bit of time during football and college football working on that. Uh, there's a lot of value in correlations and, and understanding kind of the game theory uh, and ownership projections of all these players. But, uh, you know, it's not something that I'm doing full-time like I did back in 
14, 15, 16, where I'd play every sport. You know, I'd work 70, 80 hours a week. Uh, I had no kids. Uh, my wife and I at the time were just dating. So I had a ton of freedom to really focus and grind. And there's just so much opportunity now. Uh, you know, I'm spending 40, 50 hours a week, maybe during the the peak seasons with football and college football, which are my two favorite sports, but nothing too crazy. Um, maybe that's even a little bit high, 30 to 40 hours, I'd say, uh, and spending a lot more time betting throughout the year. So, uh, and honestly, business is even more exciting to me. And that's where, especially during the off season, a lot of my time is spent. And you talk about it here, getting into some of our questions from the unabated discord. This is one that I wanted to ask anyway, but of course, Ben Carey had to go and steal some of my thunder here. But in addition to the betting, the work you do with Unabated, Lucky Trader, all the projects that you're working on, uh, you and your wife, you recently welcomed your second child. Congratulations, by the way. Hmm. What is it like balancing a family with the demands of a life in sports betting? Has being a father, do you feel changed you as a sports better? Yeah, it's certainly harder. And I'm, I'm lucky to have a great infrastructure and a lot of support at home with the kids. Um, but yeah, you know, my, my main job, especially, you know, in the afternoons is to be with my daughter and with the kids. So uh, I certainly couldn't do what I used to do where I was grinding, you know, basically every waking hour thinking about how to maximize winning in DFS. Um, so yeah, it makes it a lot trickier to, to, to kind of balance everything. Um, in addition, you know, I have some great betting partners that I work with. So really trying to delegate and, um, trying to figure out how ways to maximize edge with other people uh, in the betting world is, is super helpful. And where I get the most fulfillment from a, you know, from a career perspective and just working wise is uh, on these businesses. So uh, spending more time on those things versus like really grinding, um, you know, DFS and definitely, you know, the majority of my income still comes from betting, but uh, have a really good infrastructure, good team around to uh, kind of make sure the day to day gets taken care of. So let's get into some final thoughts here. First off, where to from here? What do you see as the future? Do you see yourself stepping back from gambling as your family grows? Where do you see unabated growing to? What 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 are you thinking when you think towards the horizon? Yeah, it is hard to balance betting and DFS and family. So ideally, you know, obviously I love the sweat. Um, ideally, I'd still be involved, but uh, I hope to continue to delegate and leverage capital to kind of make money in those markets, but not have to be, you know, involved day to day, which I think I've done a decent job. I certainly still need to continue to work on that. Um, and of course, I, you know, I expect the markets to continue to get more efficient and, uh, you know, it's going to be harder and harder to win. So at some point in time, you know, I, I don't play DFS baseball, for example, which is where I won the million bucks. I haven't done that since 2017. So like there's things that I've just cut out over the years and I can see myself cutting out more and more uh, as time goes on. But yeah, from a career perspective, I think, you know, really focusing on unabated, uh, really excited about the work we're doing at ETR. Um, yeah, so trying to figure out ways to, to you know, partner and, and make these companies work together, uh, really focus on helping unabated grow. Um, those are those are my biggest uh, focuses for 2023 and beyond. Uh, I really am excited about the business side of things. And uh, that's where you can get the best compounding if you can find great people that work well together like yourself. Um, that's that's what's most exciting and fulfilling for me is uh, growing the business side of things. My final question for you here, Peter, if you could give yourself one piece of advice, go back in time to 2012 when you're just starting out, what would it be? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think I, I took really good risks. I, I wish I could go back in time in like the 2015, 2016, 2017 range. Um, I definitely, after all that success, 
Um, I think I did a pretty good job handling the wins in terms of the ego, but I did handle losses as well um, at certain times where I just would kind of get too down and, um, you know, I didn't enjoy the moment of, you know, all the time when things were going poorly. So I wish I could go back in time and just, uh, you know, not take the losses to heart so much. Um, there's some positives that you work a little bit harder, but I wish I could do that a little bit better. And I wish I would have been more willing to evolve quicker uh, in those years because there's still a lot of opportunity. I had a really good year in 2017, but I certainly made some mistakes in like 2016, uh, 2018, uh, playing kind of a similar style that I'd played back in 2013, 2014, 2015, that just wasn't as profitable. And if I'd been, you know, more, more apt at evolving, uh, I certainly could have made more money. And I certainly could have had more fun overall if uh, I didn't take the losses so hard uh, during that time. Um, you know, life's short. You got to enjoy the moment. I was still living the dream, playing DFS full time with these businesses and whatnot. And uh, I definitely got too down at times, which uh, I wish I would have done. My mom loves to say life is about peaks and valleys, and you need to experience the valleys to truly appreciate the peaks. Peter, thank you so much for being with me here today. It was fantastic being able to hear more about what has been an awesome life story for you. I'm so excited to see how things with Unabated for us go in the future and how great things go for you as well in all of your other ventures. But for now, if people want to follow you and see what you're doing on a day-to-day, -day, they can follow you at CSURAM88 on Twitter. And of course, they can head on over and check out the awesome picks and shovels that we're providing over at unabated.com. Sign yourself up for a trial today. You guys know the deal. But for now, that is going to do it for us. Once again, thank you so much for the time today, Peter. We will be back with your regularly scheduled programming later on this week. But for now, that will do it for us. Best of luck to everyone, and we will see you next episode.